Mark chapter 4, verse 1. He began to teach again by the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables, and he was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky grounds, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun has, had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no roots, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it and, uh, choked it and yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. He was saying, who, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables. So while they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? Father God, we're thankful for your word and the evening that we have tonight to be able to study. And Lord, we know it is it is your work in our hearts. At the same time, it is our responsibility to hear your word diligently. I ask that you be with us tonight. At the end of the week, we are tired. Um, We're exhausted because of all the things that we need to do from work and ministry. But I pray, Lord, now that you give us strength to be able to hear your word and to absorb your word so we can be refreshed by your word Hope that we could be conformed to the image of your son. Lord, thank you for this time we have now in your son's name. Amen. It seems weird to talk about this, but I remember when I was young and YouTube had just came out. And this was before it was purchased by Google. So there were you know, people posting all these random things online and... I remember discovering YouTube, thinking this is the coolest thing because we can watch movies and TV shows and later eventually they'll get banned because of copyright reasons. But there was one particular evening, my brother said, hey, you need to watch this. And it was a sermon by Paul Washer. I'm sure some of you guys know who he is. And there was a sermon titled The Most, the most Important Sermon or The Most Terrifying Message You'll Ever Hear. And it was... At the time, it looked like it was HD, but it kind of was like a little grainy video. And he was, this was the, the sermon that basically made him famous. And uh, I didn't know who Paul Washer was. I, I was maybe saved for a year or two. So the Lord, for some reason, by his providence, allowed me to listen to the sermon, and it resonated with me. 
Um, there were all these little mic drop moments when, in his sermon, and one particular point in which he was known for was he was, he was confronting the youth. He was telling them, we need, if you want to be a radical Christian, you need to devote your life to godliness. You need to repent. You need to devote your life to look and live like Jesus Christ. And the crowd was cheering and saying amen. Then he pauses and looks at them and says, I don't know why you're cheering because I'm talking about you. And it was like silence. And I remember being convicted by that line. I was like, yeah, like being a Christian means that we need to be different and distinct. And, and then I went on my it was AOL, Instant Messenger. This was, again, I'm dating myself here, but I remember going online and then sending this video to all of my friends because I wanted them to be moved by Paul Washer. And there was a vast amount of responses. There were some people, you know, I grew up in a Christian school, so I assumed that they were all Christians. And some of, the, some of my friends, when they heard it, they were broken by it too. They realized, like, yeah, I, I need to reconsider. Am I really a Christian? Because my life does look like the world. It doesn't seem that different. And I was like, yeah, man, me too. And this word conviction, like, yeah, that's really cool. And then, like, repentance, these are all relatively new words to us. I mean, we've, we've read it before, we've heard it, but it really, something about the way that Paul Oster preached that message it made us you know, broken over our sin. And then there was another group of people that I sent this video to, some of my other friends, and they were open and honest, and they pretty much said, you know, this didn't do anything for me. And I was shocked. I was like, what do you mean? Did you not hear that part in you know, 45 minutes and 37 seconds, that one line? Did you, not, did you miss it? And like, no, I, I heard the whole thing. It just didn't do anything for me. And the most devastating one was when someone said, I just fell asleep after, like, the intro. And I was like, what? And it wasn't, you know, I was a younger Christian then. I didn't understand why is that. How come different people can listen to the same message and come to some, such vastly different conclusions? And then as, as I understood, as I grew into faith, I realized, especially when I studied this passage when I was younger and even now, the last few weeks, it's a reminder that every sermon, every time we read God's word, every time we hear God's word, it is going to, re, it's going to react differently depending on the person. If this is a person who genuinely loves the Lord and loves to live for the glory of God, then there's going to bear fruit when they hear any message, regardless of who the preacher is. And at the same time, if the person has no desire for the things of the Lord, then you can have like a Paul Washer or John McCarthy or R.C. Sproul, and they could preach the greatest sermon ever, and it would not have, and they would not have any reaction. And as a Christian, we understand that this is a sad reality, right? We wish that everyone would just repent. Every time we would preach and teach God's word, every time we share the gospel with someone, we hope that people will just be broken over their sin and then cry out to the Lord and believe in him as their Lord and Savior. But we understand and we know that's not always the case. And why is that? Because the heart that has no love or desire for the Lord will have bear no fruit. They're dead in their sin. But the, but the ones that are genuinely Christians, they will receive God's word and it will change them. Now, at this point in the book of Mark, uh, the, our Lord has chosen the 12 disciples. Several weeks ago, I preached through that. I explained how these guys are mainly failures in the eyes of the world, and, 
At times, even in, in, especially in the time when Christ was around, they were not that successful. But we see in even churches how the Lord was able to sustain them and use them mightily and really turn the world upside down for the gospel. And last week, we learned about how even Jesus' family, people that, um, that grew up with him, thought that he was crazy, that, he is, he's, that Jesus is losing his mind, and Jesus commands them that whoever does the will of the Father... Those are the ones that are truly my brothers and sisters and mother. Now, there's a group of people, there's a crowd of people that wants to hear about Jesus because there's so much anticipation of who this Savior is. John the Baptist, uh, in a few chapters earlier, this is about a year ago from the, the, text, the point of the text we're at right now, he baptized Jesus and the sky ripped open and they knew that John, at least they knew that John the Baptist was a prophet's. They knew that he was distinct. In fact, they thought and they knew that John the Baptist was a fulfillment of Isaiah 9, that he was this man calling out in the wilderness and preparing the way for the Savior. So they thought that Jesus was going to be that Savior, that he's going to come, he's going to overthrow the Roman government, he's going to overthrow Herod, he's going to, he's going to turn everything back to Israel being the center of the world. But obviously, they didn't understand the Old Testament. They didn't understand that Christ's first coming, the Messiah's first coming, was not to deliver them from, from some sort of control from the government, but rather deliverance from their sin. Chapter 4, verse 1, it said, He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him. And he got into the boat in the sea, and he sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And there were a whole bunch of people. This is an ongoing ministry that he has, and he had to go by the sea because there's just a lot of people crowding him. So he was on a boat, and it was most likely he got it from probably one of the fishermen from his disciples. They were able to get one. He was, he was in this area, probably the sea of Gal- Lake of Galilee. It's not really a sea. Um, he was teaching this, and you know, they didn't have microphones in this area. There was, you know, it was acoustics, for acoustic reasons. He was on this boat, and he was able to teach, uh, and you know, the people were able to hear. And so there was a very large crowd that gathered us, arguably, at this point, the largest crowd that Jesus had to deal with. And it's not just the people that wanted to hear uh, and be healed by Jesus. It was everyone. Um, and primarily, there were religious-type people, people that, you know, the Jewish people, the, the scribes, they wanted to hear and try and build a case against Jesus. And there are also others that wanted to just be healed. And there's other people that genuinely wanted to seek and know how to be made right with the Lord. So Jesus' popularity is is growing, and people are crowding around him, and he's still teaching them about the kingdom of God, calling people to repent. Now, it's interesting to note that just because there's a large crowd of people that are followers of Jesus Christ, just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean that you're truly following Jesus. You can have this close proximity with Jesus Christ, and yet spiritually be completely distant Right, there were the scribes and the Pharisees, they saw all these miracles, and yet they said, no, he is of the devil. You can do all of the things in the Christian world, you can be close to the church, you can be close to godly individuals, yet your own heart can be distant from the Lord. In our culture, Christianity, Christianity still has some level of safety, that's why we can meet here, that's why we're able to preach God's word, we can, that's, at least for now, we can say whatever we want. Even though we might be canceled, or that's not really that big of a threat to us because in church history, canceling means taking your life. 
So in relative sense, this is as seemingly bad as things are. It's not as bad as it can be. In our current context, people can want to be part of the church, can want to do religious things and learn about spiritual things and learn about the Bible, yet their hearts can be cold to Christ. Verse 2, and he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Now, this is this ongoing teaching, and this word teaching is not necessarily only verbal teaching. He, he lived it out before them. He, it this, the, the word has this idea of, of both living among them and teaching them God's word. He was speaking to them, and he also proved that that his life and his doctrine are, 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 are perfectly in harmony with one another. Yet he's also doing miraculous things. He's teaching them in different ways. And this book of Mark highlights that the, the, the importance of preaching and teaching, the, the importance of the preaching and teaching ministry of Jesus Christ. Because truth speaking is better, better and even more important than some of the miracles that he's done, some of the compassionate things that he's done. Those things are way more important. Our world loves the compassion of Jesus Christ. They love to talk about the love of Christ, but they do not love the teachings of Christ, much like the crowd before. A lot of people like to hear and see things that the Lord will do, hoping that they might be able to be healed by him, but they did not want to be saved and delivered from their sin. And yet in our own context, even here in SFBC, we can come to church and even profess Christ for the wrong reasons. Because some of us, we like the church because it's comfortable. I'm not just talking about the little cushioned seats and the air conditioned blasting or, the, or you know, having children's ministry or anything like that, but there's this comfort that comes in every Christian church. We like it here. We like being with each other. Some of us have, gone, have come to Christianity because we actually believe that somehow the Lord will give us like money, he, that it will give some sort of monetary gain. That if I believe in Jesus, then he'll give me blessings beyond blessings, right? Isn't that what Jesus loved to do, bless his children? So if I profess Jesus, that he should be blessing me with, with riches and fame and family and all of that. Sometimes people come into church because they want companionship. They like Christian friends or they try to find a spouse, they like the companionship that comes in the Christian world. Or others, they just like the Christian culture. I mean, I've had friends that I'll try to evangelize to, and they'll say, oh, yeah, if I ever want to bring my kids to a church, it'll be good for them to learn morals. They see it as the, the Christian culture, at least they, we may not agree with everything, but at least this is the place I want my kids to grow up in. I like them to be surrounded by these good Christians. They like the culture. You have to ask yourself, is this you? Because there's a whole bunch of people in the time of Jesus that went to Jesus for comfort, for cash, for companionship, and for even the culture, but they did not go for Christ. And if that's you, you can be one of those categories of people that when persecution comes, you just be choked out. Do you love to be amongst God's people because you love Jesus? I said that he's teaching many of them in parables, teaching many things in parables. And this is a challenge because, mo again, most of the people on the surface, they seem to be religious. They, they, they look like they're interested in spiritual things. They at least, at minimum, have a curiosity for Christianity. And yet Jesus tells them, listen, 
listen. This is an imperative. He's commanding them to listen, to listen closely to what he is about to say. This is something that he wants them to know, that the main focus here is what he's going to share with with the sowers. What Jesus says has eternal significance. And it's not just simply hearing God's word audibly, but to understand and to live in obedience to him. He's commanding them to listen closely. Which gets to our outline this evening. We understand as Christians, and as I was reading through this text and studying, I try to break it down two ways. And it all pertains to the word of God. One as an evangelist, and the other as a, as a, as a listener or a consumer of scripture. So if you look at our first point, it would be this, a faithful sower of God's word. A faithful sower of God's word. And our second point would be a faithful listener of God's word. A faithful sower of God's word. How do we, what is God's word supposed to be like in the life of the Christian? Well, there's two things that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to tell other people and we're supposed to listen to God's word. So our first point is that we need to be sowers, a faithful sower. And this is what Jesus tells us to listen to. Behold, the sower went out to sow. Now, it's fascinating. It's just the sower doesn't really speak much about it. He's just doing his job. This is something that all farmers understand. And he's not the, really the main focus here. Not much to describe about him. But the only thing that is true is that he is faithful at what he's doing. He's out there scattering seed. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Because if you're, not, if you're a farmer and you're not scattering, scattering seed, you're just going to be homeless. Right, your farm, that's your job, that's your task at hand. It is possible that when Jesus was teaching this, there was probably farmers among them, or maybe in a distance he could probably see some farmers, and using this illustration to show them a big and deeper truth. And this is what Christians are supposed to be like. This parallel later that he explains that, that all Christians are like the sower that is faithful in, in scattering the gospel throughout the ends of the earth. Sharing the gospel is the command of Scripture, and, you, and your life needs to be marked by love of faithfully declaring and sowing the seed of the gospel wherever we go. Here's a question you need to ask yourself. Are you faithful in this way? Are you faithful like this sower? He just went out to sow. He doesn't make any excuses. He just goes out and does what he's supposed to do. And Christians, that's what we, are, we need to be. We need to be faithfully declaring God's word in the area that we're at. doesn't say much in terms of how big the field is or how much land he has, how much he even sees it. He's just out there sowing. And it continues on. It happened that he was sowing. Some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came up and ate it up. Now, I know that this is a very familiar passage, and in two weeks, we'll get to the explanation part. But for now, we're just going to talk through some of it, and we might make some references here and there to the explanation uh, so just bear with me. I might not get to the explanation part because I feel like this is a good time for us just to understand just being, what it means to be a faithful sower of God's word. But for now, verse 4, and it happened, he, it was sowing and some seed fell on the side of the road. Now you might think, why would he do that? Why, why would this person just scatter a seed and all of a sudden just go on the side of the road? That seems like an inefficient way for a farmer. And just understand that the reality of all seeds is that um, you know, the roads back then, it's not like the farmers, the way that we think of like everything's just so symmetrical. You know, back then it was just kind of like a pot of land could be rounded in some areas and sharp corners and others, and then they're scattering the seed. Some of them might just fly out and then land in the road, and then birds will come and pick it up and just devour it. And that's the true that um, 
And you, again, if you, again, if you know this passage, you understand that this is a, supposed to be the devil coming in and just snatching the gospel away from their hearts. Now, it's said that in terms of farmers at the time, maybe a third or half the seed that gets scattered away uh, will be eaten by birds. Uh, but it's still his job to go and scatter seed no matter what happens. Now, this is not a percentage thing. It's not saying that every time you share a gospel, it's like a 50% chance it'll land on somewhere and a 50% chance it may not. It's just the reality that that when a farmer goes around sowing seed, there's always birds around him waiting to devour the seed. And we understand that this is the job of the devil. His job, much like our job, our job is to faithfully share the seed. His job is to try to get people not to, uh, not to receive the gospel. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. This might be a familiar passage to some of you, but this is Peter warning uh, about... Guarding yourself, First Peter verse five, verse eight said, "Be sober, spirits. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world." It is normal in our evangelism to not have people want to hear the gospel. When we're out there declaring God's word, there's bound to be things, even influences of the world that just, it just doesn't affect them. We can be as passionate and pleading with them and begging them to see their sin and they would say, no, that's not me. That's not for me. Well, that's cool for you, but it's not for me. Or that they might even be antagonistic towards you and call you a bigot for calling them a sinner. But yet, the sower continues to sow. It says in uh, verse 5, And other seed fell upon the rocky ground where it did have, not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. So yes, he scatters. Some goes on the road, and some goes into this rocky ground. And this rocky ground, it's, it's been said by these Jewish, uh, Jewish theologians that when God made Israel, that he put all the rocks in Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is a very rocky place. Um, and it wasn't like, like, it wasn't just, it's not just that there's rocks, but underneath that, there's a, a, a layer of limestone, so that when it goes into these areas, the sea will just go in, and it wouldn't have any roots. There was no depth, or if it does, it will spring up very quickly, which is what it says in verse 5, that it'll spring up, it, it, it immediately sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And that means that they are shallow on the bottom, but they're closer to the sun, so that's why they spring up, and then because of that, they dry up and they burn. And that's that. There's sometimes we share the gospel. It seems like there are moments of, group, uh, of excitement for things. They might even show up to our, our, our Good Friday services and, and go, even return for our Easter sun, a Resurrection Sunday. They might even join your Bible study for a little while. But eventually, not long afterwards, there's trials in their lives that will get them to let go of the faith. Again, that's not your responsibility. Your job is like the sower, whether it's birds trying to snatch you away or, or, or lacking depth in the soil. You just keep doing what you need to do as evangelists. And it says, verse 6, And after the sun rose, it was scorched because it had no roots, and it withered away. Verse 7, he continues, And other seed fell up among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crops. Again, this, is, this shows us something about the gospel, and that some people, they may receive it, 
and they might grow, but there's just things in the way that will just distract them from the gospel. They might turn their hearts away. They may respond correctly. They may even show growth for, for a season, but there is no maturity. Continuing on, the sower keeps going on and just sowing the gospel wherever he goes, sowing seed. And other seeds fell in good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they were yielding a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now, this is an abnormal thing. You know, back then when they were to do, you know, when they grow crops, it would never go even 30 more. It won't produce like 30 because that's like already an increase, a crazy amount, right? The thir- uh, one little seed that can produce so much fruit and it's a 60 and 100 fold. That's like getting a 12,000% in your return in investments. That's just so absurd. But yet that happens, doesn't it? If you think about in your life, the person that shared the gospel with you, you go and you share some gospel with someone, that person might be saved. And that's because that person before you shared the gospel with you. And then that person, and you know, there's like, it seems almost like the pyramid thing, the pyramid scheme thing, right? Except it's in the positive. You know, we're, we're not taking anything. We're just, we're not peddling the gospel. We're just sharing it freely in hopes that people will get saved. And there's this multiplication effect whenever we share the gospel. And when we get saved, we go tell whoever in our lives. We get changed. There's fruit in our life, and we go and tell other people, and then there's fruit in, in their lives. And there's this multiplication in gospel ministry when we share the gospel with people. But yet, this sower, he's doing all of these things, and he doesn't seem to care about the outcome. And that's what we need to be as well. We just need to be like this sower who just sow the seeds, wherever the soil may be. We just scatter the seed of the gospel, and we're not the one that in charge of the seed. It doesn't say that he experimented with the seed. It didn't even say that he, he uh, it, didn't even, it doesn't describe the look of the, of the sower. It doesn't describe the bag that the seeds are in. He just does the work of evangelism. And we need to think in those ways too, because in our day and age, especially evangelicalism, we think that if we can distort the gospel, if we can change the seed a little bit, you know, do some, I don't know, what, like genetic modification, change it a little bit, then, then that's how people, the soils, will accept the gospel. Or if we look a certain way, or we package the gospel a certain way, then people will receive Christ. But that's not the case. The sower here, all he was doing was faithfully declaring God's word. The gospel wasn't altered the sower didn't try to manipulate anything. He just did the job. And we understand, even 1 Corinthians tells us that, uh, that Paul uh, planted the seed of Paul's water, but it is God who causes the growth. And our, our, my danger and my fear for us is not, it's not even it's the worrying about outcomes. I think our biggest shortcoming in the church like this in our world is that we don't share the gospel at all, that we're not even sowing any seed so that God can cause any growth in other people's lives. As Christians, we must recalibrate and remember that our job here as Christians is to declare and sow the seed of the gospel. We need to go and tell other peoples of, of, of the world why they need Jesus Christ. The sower didn't care about being relevant because a relevant farmer will be obsessed with trying to grow certain crops or have their field a certain way or buy all these things. No, it doesn't matter. What the sower was doing was faithfully spreading the seed wherever he went. And that's our job too. Our primary objective here on earth is to go and tell people about Jesus. He didn't care about relevance. He didn't care about being liked. He just did what he was supposed to do 
He was a faithful sower of the gospel. If you want to be a faithful evangelist, then you need to be evangelist. If you want to be a faithful evangelist, you don't, look, if you, if you understand the gospel in your life, you have more than enough to go and tell someone else. Like, why did you, why did you receive Jesus Christ? Why did you come to saving faith? Why, did you love, why do you adore Jesus Christ? You just need to tell other people the same reasons why you love Jesus Christ, and that's supposed to be the thing that captivates them. Share about how the Lord has, what the Lord means to you. Share to other people why you love Jesus Christ so much, and let that gospel spread to wherever the Lord has placed us. If you want to be a faithful evangelist, you need to just be evangelist, because an unfaithful sower will not have any results. It will not produce any fruit, and an unfaithful evangelist will, have, will not be pleasing to the Lord. It will not give God any glory because we're not doing the work of evangelism. Sow the seed of the gospel. Be a faithful evangelist. Now we get to our second point as evangelists. That's one of our roles as Christians. But the second, we're also called to be listeners of God's word. We also need to be people that receive intake to hear the word of God. Our second point, we need to be faithful hearers of the gospel. First point was that we're faithful sowers of God's word. Now we're called to be faithful hearers of God's word. Verse 10, as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parables. Again, these, it's, it's fascinating that like, he was alone. I, I'm imagining it was like a fear of man kind of thing. Like, oh, we don't want to ask him in public because then we need, you know, we, we don't, we're the, we're the close-knit people. We don't get this. There's a problem. But you, know, you got to give him credit. They're at least willing to ask the question. They're probably nudging Peter like, hey, go ask, go ask, ask him what this means. And that's what they did. It was like the 12 and a, a group of others, they went up to Jesus and they started asking. They wanted to know. And uh, they wanted to know what Jesus meant. And they wanted, to, they wanted the answer. They wanted, and it's fascinating at the end, it's the parables, meaning that they probably, of, like, of all the parables that came up in Jesus' teaching ministry, this was the one that fascinated them the most. And, the, and, the, and I think it's fascinating that Mark wrote this and covered it this way, because remember, Mark is the gospel that's according to Peter. So he's hearing all this, and he's recalling just how, what it was like to ask Jesus to teach them, to elaborate more on what these parables mean. And Jesus, verse 11, he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom, but those who are outside get everything in parables. And he's telling them that to you, like these specific groups of people, that they're privileged to understand the mystery of the kingdom of God. They're with Jesus and it allows them to access to the mind of God and to his teaching a little bit more. And he tells them that there's the mystery that's given to them. There's an element of divine grace here that they can understand and they're able to hear it because it was given to them. He's given to them the knowledge of the mystery of the kingdom of God. So how will God manifest his rule in this world is not through the sword, at least not his first coming, but it's through believers. We're called a kingdom of priests in 1 Peter. Again, that's, I think I'm tying all these back to 1 Peter because Peter is the one that influenced this gospel. It's because he, and I think he understands that as Christians, we're called to represent God in this world. 
We represent a kingdom of God that's beyond this life, something that is not temporal but eternal. And he tells them, but those who are outside, those are the the non-Christians, and he's not speaking of proximity, just those that are not in the faith, they will not understand, but everything to them will just be a story. They just hear the parable, and they just see it as is, and that's it. You have to imagine this is the crowd. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to bring my blind friend, or I need to get my leg healed. They hear Jesus, and he's just telling these stories about farming. It's like, well, yeah, is Jesus like a farming lesson? What is this? Why is he telling things that we actually already know? We know about these sowers. We know what happens to seed and soil. We know these things. Why is he talking about these things? Maybe this guy isn't who he claims to be. Maybe this guy is not the Savior. Maybe he can't do all the miracles, and they just walk away. But for those who are truly seeking after the Lord, they will grasp the parables. But for everyone else, they're just there for superficial reasons. Even the message of Jesus will fall on deaf's ears. So these people, outsiders, they won't understand. They'll just think Jesus is just some farmer talking about farming tips and giving farming advice and other parables and just telling stories. He's like, he's a good orator, but why do I need to hear all of any of this? they leave. But these individuals here, they wanted to know. They wanted to hear God's word. They wanted to understand what Jesus was saying. Verse 12, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they return and be forgiven. Now, he Jesus here makes his reference to Isaiah chapter 6. And in that context, uh, the Jews were being warned by Isaiah that destruction is coming, that they're going to be destroyed. He's pleading with them, begging them to repent. And he's like, look, at the, these armies, these other armies, these pagan Gentile armies are coming, and we need to turn away from our sins so that God can rescue us. And the people, they, even though they see the armies coming, even though they can hear rumblings, they chose not to listen. And this is a warning, and, and Jesus is pulling this text out from the Old Testament to, just sh- to show them that, yeah, not everyone's going to get it. Not everyone's going to understand, or even, even though this right before them, it was so obvious to them, they're not going to get the gospel. In a lot of ways, this is a, it's, it's interesting that it's almost like a grace and a judgment at the same time. Because it's a grace in that these hard-hearted individuals, they won't be held accountable to what they know anymore because they can't understand anything. But at the same time, it's judgment. Because of their hard-heartedness, the Lord will just give them up into their sin, and they're going to be completely callous to the things of the Lord. When you think about all the times in Scripture where people fail to listen to God and how their hearts are hardened to it, it always begins with their own hardening, and the Lord hardens their heart. Like you think about Pharaoh. It said that he hardened his heart first, and then God hardened his heart. And there's a human responsibility to that. They need to hear God's word, and they're held accountable to it. And sometimes it is, again, by God's mercy that they just don't get it. Jesus is speaking these parables with intent to either conceal truth to some and reveal truth to other people. Listening is a crucial part of the Christian life. To understand Scripture is, is something, it's a unique gift that we, that's given to us. We call it the doctrine of illumination. It means that when we're studying things, that we're understanding that, that other people will not. If you ever just watch the news and how people keep seemingly butcher the, the Scriptures out of context, it's because they don't understand the gospel. 
They don't understand. They don't have the ability to get it, even though it's so obvious to them. Right? It makes completely no sense when, to me when people like Oprah say that Jesus never said he was God. Jesus never said it's the only way to salvation. You point them to the verses, chapter, and, and book, and they, you point it right to them. They say, no, no, that's not what it's saying. That's not what it means. It's so obviously clear, but the reason why they don't understand is because there's a hardening of their own heart and God giving them up into their own sin. And we have to understand that in the context of the church, that can be the same way as well. Some of you will not listen to God's word because even in your heart now, there's a hardening, there's a deadness to it. You're not going to get the things that God has to say. Whether it's in a small group setting or a preaching or any type of discipleship ministry, sometimes the most obvious thing in your life is completely foreign to you because you are dead in your sin. You have secretly given up your heart to the things of the world, and the Lord is hardening it so that when people are preaching to you, when people are confronting you, when people are counseling you, it makes zero sense. And that's a fear that I have, and I think even Jesus has for the people there, that they are these people like the Israelites of old and Israelites at the time that are listening, that they, they're hearing him, but they don't understand what Jesus is trying to get at. So he speaks to them in these parables. The condition of the heart determines its ability to receive truth. And only those who live in faith, they will receive truth. For those who reject the truth, the truth will be harder to understand. The parable, and really that's what parables are, are earthly illustrations to show a heavenly truth. A earthly illustration to point to a heavenly truth. And he's saying that some people will not see those things. And even the word parables sound like the word parallel because that's the idea here, that there's two things that are running next to each other that are parallel to each other. This earthly illustration, these heavenly truths are identical and one and the same. And they won't understand these things. Can this be said about you? When you hear God's word, do you find yourself just making excuses to not listen, or does it even make any sense to you? One of the most commonly used words in the Old and the New Testaments is the word listen. We know Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, God commands the Israelites to listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Joshua chapter 3, before uh, Joshua was going to go into Jericho. He was commanded to listen, to hear God's word. Joshua chapter 3, verse 9. You shall moreover command the pre. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of Yahweh your God. Even the book of Proverbs, it begins by saying that you need to hear the wisdom that's given to you, that you need to hear and listen carefully if you want to live a life of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1, hear, O sons, the instructions of a father and give attention that you may gain understanding. Romans 
chapter 10, a call that Paul has, again, an evangelism passage, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, surely they have, an answer, they have, they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First Moses, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. He goes on to continue on explain how Israel, the nation, they heard everything from God and they still did not understand. Again, does this describe you? Do you find yourself, every time you're engaging God's word, whether it's your own private devotional time or in a public setting like this, that God's word just doesn't, that you just don't hear it? You know, we're called to not only hear, but meditate on, on God's word. That's actually a, a common thing in the Psalms, that I meditate, that I'm basically re-listening to the things I hear and know about God's word. Scripture will always be a mystery to those who don't want to learn about God's word. Scripture will always be this words, just random words to them if they don't have a love for him. And there are multiple ways in which we fail to listen. One of them is just distractions. Like I know that you guys are faithfully using your phone for the glory of God all the time, every time. So when I see you on your phone or your tablets now, you're probably having, you know, there's like the text of scripture. It's not, I'm sure other people, not you, are just being distracted. They're, you know, shopping on their, on their phones. They're looking at sports highlights. They're on their social media. I'm, that's not you. I'm pretty sure that's not you. But they're just distracted. And the main reason why they don't hear is because they're just distracted by other things. There's no desire to hear the preaching of God's words. Others are just self-righteous. They think, oh, I know this. I don't need this. So just, I know someone that needs this, but it's not me. Let me bring my friend who needs this. And they have them sit next to them and say, hey, yeah, yeah, you need to hear this. You need to hear about hearing God's word. And they tune out because they don't think, it's, they, don't think they need it. They're self-righteous. Others are self-pity. You know, they think, oh, I'm, I, I'll never live up to God's word, so I'm not even going to listen. I'm not, I don't need to hear any of this because I'll never live up to God's word. Some people, they might even be critical. I remember one time I was preaching at a place, and I was doing these things where I like kind of moved back and forth when I was preaching. And, it, and, and I also understand, I'm not trying to be defensive, but I was preaching behind this very tiny pulpit. So you know, in this pulpit, I could kind of move, and you might not notice. But I was preaching behind this little like music stand. So movement to him was just me just trying to make sure I don't lock my knees and fall over. But after the sermon, I asked, yeah, uh, he was like, oh, thank you for your sermon, but your movement was distracting to me. It's like, behind that thing? Like, were you serious? Like, I can't, uh, you really want me to say, it's like, all right. He, he was just totally thrown off. He just kept saying that you're not a good preacher because you move everywhere. And it was just, it was just so critical of, of just movement. I was like, do you not, like, you, okay. And just again, he didn't hear anything that I had to say because I was, you know, he was just being critical of something that's just so petty. Like, did the last hour mean nothing? Yeah, because he was so focused on the one thing. You know, those critical listeners are like that. They fail to hear because they're focusing on the wrong thing. Others just make excuses. You know, oh, I'm just, I, I, I don't want to hear things because, or I can't hear things because things are too loud. There's too much kids here, or there's not enough, uh, the, the AC is too loud, the sound is weird. They'll make all these excuses, and they say, well, that's why I didn't hear anything that you had to say. 
And I think the worst one is that, is, is that people become familiar with God's word. They hear this. This is a very popular parable. I'm sure some of you heard multiple sermons on this, and you might have thought, well, I've heard other people preaching, and it's so much better than why do I need to listen to this one? I could just go back online and listen to that. It's so familiar to you, but you don't realize that even in God's providence, that God can use anyone and any passage to shape you at the moment that you need it. Are you, a, are you faithful in hearing the word of God? Verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? And this is fascinating because he's saying to them, if you, this is like basically the first parable that you need to get to understand everything else. And I, and I, and I was like wrestling, why do you say this in this, this particular point in this little lecture or sermon here? Why, do he, why is this the, the means by which he's confronting them? Why is he asking this question? And I think part of it is because he wants his disciple to know that this could be you, but this is also the people that you preach to and minister to. If you don't get it, that means that you, might, you yourself might be hard-hearted, and I think he's probably alluding to Judas here, or some of the other followers that might have denied the faith. We don't know who everyone that's with them, but at least we know for sure Judas was there. He didn't get it. And also the people that you're ministering to, that they're, they're not going to get it either. There's a reason why even in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, there's this command to continue to preach the word, to teach them in season and out of season. And that's a farming illustration, but it's not supposed to mean about like if there's a, uh, if there's a whole, it's not being ready in terms of the time, but it's that you're supposed to preach whether you have any results. And I think this is this idea that you, you need to understand how people receive God's word. And if, and if you don't understand this, how are you going to understand anything else? Because, only, again, only spiritual people will understand all the parables that Jesus is going to say. Because in this, in this chapter, he's going to say two or three more different types of parables to, to reveal to them some deeper heavenly truth. And this is a key parable, and he raises the stakes for them to pay close attention. And they need to understand why some people will reject the gospel and why some people will hear it. And this is the reality about all of Scripture. We fail to respond to truth. There is a snowball effect. You can sit under sound preaching and teaching of God's word week after week, month after month, year after year. But if you don't respond in faith, your heart will become hardened. So just some practical advice. How do I become a better listener of God's word? I think first, primarily, you need to be saved. You need to be a believer. For some, and again, I, don't, I can't read your heart, but I'm going to, it's better that I presume the worst that you're not a Christian than to assume that, oh, everyone here is a Christian and not be faithful in terms of telling you that you need Jesus Christ, that you need to accept that he is your savior. The only way that you can understand the truth that's revealed in God's word and all the promises of God's word, if you want to receive any of this, you need to turn from your sin and place your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. Repent from your sin, trust in him, and deny your good works, and trust in his good works. I think that's how you first begin. But now if you are a believer, then I think the second step is that you need to ask God to give you understanding. There's a reason why every time, the majority of the time when I'm praying before I preach in, this, in a public setting, I'm asking God to give us understanding. Because without God, we can do nothing. And I think in our own private times, instead of just opening your Bible and just start reading the next verse that you've left off, ask God to give you illumination. 
Every time, even before you preach or you hear preaching, even for me, sometimes I have moments in the middle of a sermon where I get distracted and I ask God, give me the ability to listen. There are days when it's hard for me sometimes and, you know, the night before, with, uh, it could be, you know, kid stuff or, or just or long meetings and I'm just exhausted and I ask God, please help me stay up so I can listen and hear God's word, so I can understand it. You need to ask God to give you the ability to hear his words. Now, the stuff after, those are, I think, the main things so to, to ask the Lord. But the other stuff, these are some practical things, and that's depending on who you ask. And you know, there's studies on this, and, and it might be true, but I think this is helpful because this is what I do. But you don't, this, I'm not trying to be legalistic here. This is just my opinion and others as well. But one of the things that they said, if you want to increase your learning, is that you need to take notes. They say that if you just hear a message, yes. If you are attentive and the Holy Spirit is moving, you might be able to retain like 90% of it. Uh, but an, an average person, if they're just hearing me preach or anyone preach, chances are you might only remember like 5%. And of the 5%, you might only remember the things of the 5% is like all illustrations and maybe the applicational points. Uh, so they advise, like for if you want to be a good student, take notes. And, and they say these things like you actually write notes because something about the tactile movements of it and taking physical notes allows you to retain it better. Then they tell people if you want to be a good student and remember things, you need to go and reread those notes because that increases the chance of, of, of retention by like 20%. And beyond that, if you start discussing it with other people, then that increases more because now you're dialoguing about it, you're meditating on God's word. And these are all those practical things that are just things that I've done in my life and I know others have done it as well. But then again, the key, the main things are the first two is that you need to be a believer. And you need to ask God for illumination and everything else. You should want to do those things because you want to learn about the Lord. And I really do hope, again, I'm not trying to be legalistic here. If you have, you're taking those on, on your tablets or whatever, that's fine. I'm not saying that if you don't do this thing, you're not a believer. But just understand that you, you need to take listening God's word seriously. Because genuine Christians will genuinely desire the word of the living God. It's only those that are you know, that have no desire for the things above, no desire for spiritual things. They're the ones that have no interest. They come in because they know that this is what Christians do. Uh, they'll listen because that's what Christians are supposed to do, but it doesn't impact their heart the way it should, and that's why they have no fruit in their life. Much like in our lives, when we think about God's word, we need to do those two things. We need to be evangelists. We need to sow the seed of the gospel. And then we need to go and hear God's word. That's the life of the Christian. We always go back to these two. We need to hear God's word preached so that we can be encouraged and built up to the work of the ministry. And then we go and we tell and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Then we go back and we hear God's word again. We get fed God's word so that we know how to, like, so that we understand God's word more, so we understand God more. And then we go tell people about this God that we know. And this cycle continues. But these are only for those who are genuinely saved. Now, in two weeks, I'm going to get into the explanation part, so this is really like part two, but I know next week is Good Friday, um, so we're going to take up a little break from this, because I know the story continues and the parable gets explained, but next week, I would encourage you to invite some of your non-believing friends and family. If you know anyone that, that doesn't know Jesus Christ, you know, pray for them, uh, that the Lord will give you opportunities sometime this coming week, that they can come here uh, and share the gospel. I'll be preaching, um, and I and I hope that if, you know, I hope that there are more visitors, in the, in the, especially like Easter or Good Friday or, or Resurrection Sunday or even Christmas. Those are like the, what 
Steve Lawson called the CEO, like Christmas, Easter only. Uh, those, those people, those CEO Christians. Um, and yeah, there are going to be people that, are only, that will only attend church during those times. So be tactful and be strategic. You know, invite them. And, and you don't even need to confront them on their sin. I'll do it for you. I'll tell them about their sin on your behalf so you guys can hopefully continue your friendship. And they cannot like me, but it's okay. It's fine. At least you guys can have more opportunity to go and share the gospel with them or disciple them down the line. But yeah, I would encourage you to, to do that, to be mindful. Have at least one person in your mind, whether it's a friend or family, think about them, your coworker, and just invite them. You know, ask the Lord to give you the opportunity and boldness to say, hey, uh, we have a special event next Friday as a good, as a good Friday service. We're going to have some great music and some teaching and some cookies afterwards, and, we'll love, and I'd like to, love to have you join us. And it's Sunday as well. If you can't do Friday, episode, there's two days, basically, for them. And we see these opportunities as as, as, as opportunity for us to sow the seed of the gospel to those that need the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word again. And Lord, we do ask that you give us a greater and deeper desire to go and share the gospel with people. Uh, Lord, we know that that is a weakness of ours. It's not natural for us to want to put ourselves in a position where it may be difficult and uncomfortable, but we know that these things do not matter. Our reputation, our lives do not matter because the only thing matters is that people know you, that people have a right relationship with you. And Lord, help us, give us courage to be able to go and just invite people or share the gospel with them because we know that the world desperately needs you, Lord. And when they come to saving faith and use us in such a unique way uh, this coming week, and not just for uh, Christmas or Easter, but every single day, Lord. May we always be mindful in how we live in a, a before watching world and, and allow us to be holy so that we can, and so that when we tell people about the gospel, that they know that we truly do believe that you are our God and that you are a living God and that we are faithful followers of you, Lord. Thank you for this time that we have now in your son's precious name. Amen. So I have two discussion questions. Uh, first one, how can I learn to trust in the Lord during my evangelism encounters? And second, how can I better prepare myself every time I encounter God's word?